Amen. We welcome you. So glad that you came to Church and Rock this morning. We welcome all those who are online. We're just a little hot there. Do you can turn that down? Hmm? Okay. And we welcome all those that are watching online as well. Uh, I'm Pastor Joe. I'm the interim associate pastor, and I've had the privilege of bringing the word to you this morning. And uh, it's just so good to be with you this morning. If you had turned to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah, that's in the Old Testament, maybe you haven't read uh, the book of Jonah. Um, my high school, my college professor uh, gave me a little uh, ditty here that tells people how to find the book of Jonah. He said, you take the last, the first two letters of the last 12 books of the Old Testament, and he made a stupid story out of it, and you take the first two letters, and, and it goes like this. He says, you'll never forget it, and I never have. It's, ho, Joe. Aim, oh, Joe, my name, Hazi Hazima. So it's Hosea, Joel, you know, that's that. So it's Ho, Joe, aim, oh, Joe, my name, Hazi Hazima. So the last Joe is Jonah, okay? So that's how you get to Jonah. And um, chapter 3, verse 10. And we're going to uh, continue on the, uh, the vision and the, and the mission of the church. I have the, the, the privilege to talk to you about evangelism and actually rescuing people. Aren't you glad that Jesus is, out, is a rescuer of hearts and souls? The title of this morning's message is A Heart Like God's, A Heart Like God's. And let's look at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10 together. We're going to read through uh, the end of chapter 4 as well. Short book, Jonah. I encourage you this week, take time to read this very short book, the Lord really has many things, good things to say to us as he does in all of his word. Okay, Jonah chapter 3, hope you're there, and verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did, <clears throat> speaking of the Ninevites, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Remember, he ran away from the message that God wanted to bring to the Ninevites. He says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate to God. He knew the character of God. That you're slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to, to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? I want you to note here, because we'll come back to the silence. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to, to the city. Then, Jonah, then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that it grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, 
he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Many cattle as well. He says, should I not be concerned about that great city? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that your word is awesome. God, it's live. It's live stream. Your Holy Spirit speaks to us, God, when we connect with you. And we thank that your presence is here right now. And I just invite your manifest presence, God, to touch every one of us, God, today. Lord, we just ask, God, that your word will become real to us. God, that you'd open our minds. Give us great understanding about your heart, God, today. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. God, that we can do, God, with joy, Lord. God, to proclaim the gospel, Lord, to people. God, we thank you, God. Thank you that you rescued us. Thank you, God, that you want us to be rescuers here at Church on the Rock. And God, that there's a world that needs to know about you. We just give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, imagine this with me for just a minute. <clears throat> Church in the Rock is sending a missions team to the city of Chicago. And uh, so we disperse. We, we, we have one goal. Disperse throughout the city. North side, south side, east side, down in the loop, everywhere. With the message of Jesus, we go to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, showing them the love of the Savior, the need for repentance, that's to turn away from those things that hurt ourselves and other people from sin, and showing them, we proclaim showing them the way to heaven and the consequences of unforgiven sin. That's a loving message, did you know that? And the missions team from Church and Rock successfully proclaims the message throughout this major American city, and then the whole city responds in repentance to their sins. They put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they come to know Christ. How many think that would be a great day? How many think there'd be some celebration and there would be some rejoicing? But not with Jonah. Jonah went to a, an ancient city that was huge for its day. Along with the king, he proclaims the message that the Lord gives them, a message of repentance, to repent from their wickedness. And, and, as, and they humble themselves before the Lord. And after preaching the, the, the message of Jonah... And rather than finding a rejoicing heart, we see the picture of a pouting prophet. He's a prophet. He was used prophetically pronouncing the word of the Lord. And his heart really is bitter. And so we find him sitting under a gourd vine outside of Nineveh, complaining, finding fault, and even arguing with God. He's angry with God. And we find him angry over the Lord's compassion for these people toward the Ninevites, and he's sitting at the edge of the city with hopes of the possibility that may be somehow still this, these people would be destroyed by God's wrath. Something is desperately wrong with this man of God, uh, for this should not all be his response. What do you think? Jonah did not yet have the heart of God. We can see clearly from this passage that God's heart and desire is to see the salvation of all people, every kind of people, no matter who they are, 
God has made every person and he loves every single person he has ever made. God's passion is to reach every tribe, every nation, every tongue. But not Jonah. There are some hindrances in his heart, weren't there? Some hindrances that stood in the way of reaching these people. And so this morning, I want us to take a few moments and look at the picture. We see in this passage a picture of two hearts. We see the heart of God, and then we also see the heart of Jonah, which is the heart of man. And we're going to see that God's heart is the heart that we need if we want to do the mission here at Church in the Rock to reach other people for Jesus Christ. As we do this, I want us, we can ask ourselves a healthy question. Could there be any hindrances in our hearts? This is not meant to be legalistic or condemning, but God, remember, he's lifting us to a higher level, a better way of, of thinking, to a greater love, because our natural tendency is to think inward. Do we need to be taught selfishness? No, we need to be thinking, we need to be taught with the Spirit of God to think outwardly, to love other people. God values people. Jesus died for the human race. He died for you and he died for me. He's not willing that any person, a person should perish but have everlasting life. So we're gonna compare these two hearts and contemplate this question and then we're gonna identify the uh, scriptural uh, solution for if Church in the Rock is to fulfill the great commission, we must and we, and we have to desire to have a heart like God's. If we as a church want to help people, we've got to have his heart. Let's look at the heart of God, point number one. What is God's heart, heart really like? What is it really like? We see have a, a picture of it here. We see in this passage the characteristics of God's heart that we must model ours after. If we want to reach people for Jesus, this is what our desire and our passion should be like him. When a person comes in the faith with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God then begins to transform our hearts and he gives us a new heart, a new heart. I'm glad, before I knew Christ, my heart was different, but I'm glad now that I've known the Lord since 1972 that my heart has changed. And that came because I knew and discovered the love of God and how he loved me and took me the way I was in all my sin and all the things. He could have condemned me, but he did not. But he rescued me. And I'm thankful for that. And God wants to work in our hearts. His work in our heart is progressive, but we have to yield to God's heart-changing work that he wants to put in our lives. To, so that we can not only move forward as a believer, that we can move forward into the lives of others and proclaim the good news to, uh, to Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of leading someone to Jesus, but there's no greater joy than to see someone come to Christ as a result of our obedience. It's not anything we do. It's a God miracle that God does through you and does through me. And that is the joy the joy of bringing in the old, the old hymn, bringing in the sheaves. You know, I'm thankful. I, I, I think with all confidence that Nineveh was thankful for the heart of God, don't you? That sent Jonah there. And so we see this here. Let's look at the kind of guard, uh, heart that, that God has. First of all, Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. We're going to go back to verse 2 for, for a little bit here. God, Jonah says to God, he says this, he says, I knew you have 
a gracious heart. I knew that you are a gracious God. That's God's heart. He is gracious. I'm glad for his grace. A gracious heart that longs to help others. That's what a gracious heart is. A gracious heart is a heart that longs to help others. That's the quality that God wants to put in our hearts, that we have that type of heart. He has a, lo- a heart to long uh, and longs to help each and every one of us every day, whether we know Jesus or not. God wants your soul. He wants you, and he wants your heart, and that's good news. What an important ingredient this is, that we have the heart of God. If the church intends to reach people for Christ, we need this. God's heart is perfectly and consistently gracious all the time. This is a characteristic that I want in my life more and more. How about you? He wants to help people. He wants to tell them of the grace of God that he loves them by warning them of the impending judgment of of sin in our life. Sin is there to destroy us. God is there to rescue us and to bring us out of the pit and the destruction of hurting ourselves and others because, folks, that's what sin does. God gives us healthy boundaries. He gives us commandments that are loving boundaries that keep us in safety, that keep us in his love. And we see as we serve the Lord in obedience that his ways are so good, so much higher, so much wiser than ours. So what does God do? Because God has a gracious heart, he tells Jonah, go to the, the city of Nineveh and tell them the message I give you. And what was that message? It was a, a message of, reten- uh, of repentance. He shows unmerited favor. Did these people deserve it? No. Do I deserve unmerited favor? No. Do you deserve unmerited favor? No. God is holy. He's perfect. But he looks beyond our faults and he sees our needs. That's the amazing grace of God. He loves us the way we are, and he takes us and he changes us. Praise God for that. And that's what he does. He knew the destiny that awaited them. Believers in Christ, is this the, longer, the longing in your heart? You can have that longing grow more and more and more and more. Do you long to help anyone, no matter who they are, to see the destiny that awaits them? If they do not turn to the Savior, you want to see that change. Are you willing, do you long to take action to do that? That's what God wants and calls us to do, to reach out to others. God is gracious, and he gives unmerited or unearned favor to all mankind. What else is, can we notice here in uh, Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2 about God's heart? Not only is it gracious, but it is compassionate. Chapter 2 says, I knew, Jonah says, I knew you are a compassionate God. I knew you are a compassionate God. What does a compassionate heart look like? A compassionate heart is a heart that hurts with those who hurt. Compassionate heart is one that hurts with those that hurt. If you came in here this morning and you're hurting, I want you to know that God identifies with you. He knows you're hurt. He knows God cares if you're hurting. And he has a compassionate heart for you this morning. And he wants to meet you at that hurt. And he wants you to give your hurt to him. That's what compassion is. And we see that compassion is needed in our world today, isn't it? We need compassion of care in a careless world. People are caring less and less for one another, it seems like. It says in the Bible that in the last days before Jesus' coming, that the love of most will grow cold. 
We find in Colossians, a book called Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's speaking of the church, holy, that's separated for God, and dearly loved by God, clothe yourselves, church, with compassion, with the compassion of the, of the heart of God. We are to put like on a garment Christ-like compassion, and we need that. Not man's compassion, which is limited. We need to put on God's compassion. You know, compassion has a trained eye. Compassion sees the needs and the hurts of others. Before I knew Jesus, I didn't see the needs and the hurts of others. I mo saw mostly, some were obvious, yes, but I saw mostly the needs and the hurts of Joe Meyer, but not of other people. See, compassion that, that God puts in our hearts has a trained eye. You know, God's eye is perfectly trained where he sees the desperate needs of every human heart. In fact, God sees all the needs of all the people all the time, always. And so he sees your heart this morning. He sees everything about you. And he still sent his son to die for you and for me. God's eye is trained. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 37, that bears it out. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, the good news of repentance. Turn from your sin and, and give your life to God. Commit it to the Lord. He preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness that there was. And look at this. When he saw the crowds. Remember, this is God's son. These are the eyes of God looking on the human race. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had pity on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, in the Greek, he had compassion is one of the strongest expressions in the Bible. Jesus had been laboring hard, spreading the good news of the kingdom. He's going through all the towns and in villages, and yet even in his exhaustion, he saw the crowds and had compassion. Why? Because that's God's heart. Because he was called to the hurts of people and to put the needs of others even beyond his own needs. You know, as a youth pastor, Lynn and I, we did youth work for uh, 15 or 11 years, somewhere around there. And when I was a youth pastor in Juliet, there was a girl um, named Angie, and she, she came from uh, uh, a, a town downstate, and so she started coming to our youth group. And she was not an attractive girl. She was heavyset, and she talked like this, and she had an impediment in speech. And she, she was not liked. She couldn't find friends, even in church. And she would come, and she had, she had a nasal and, 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 and a breathing problem. And she went to Joliet Junior College. And so we, we go to Chicago Outreach. That was an a, a evangelism thing. We go down into the, the city of Chicago, and we would try to help people um, uh, know Jesus Christ. We'd knock on doors and help pastors and help churches plant, and, and then we'd invite them to this new church. And so we did this as a youth group. And so we're down knocking on doors and that. And so we said, okay. I said, this is Pastor Joe, the youth pastor. Okay, we're going to break up into teams now. So ever do it. Everybody went there and there's Angie just standing there. I said, Angie, you can come with us. Come with us. 
And so Angie went there. And we just loved Angie, and we just, we just cared for her. And so Angie continued to go, come to the youth group, and, um, and uh, she was there for the year, and then she moved back to her town. And I got a letter from the pastor, and Angie suffocated in her sleep. You know, and the pastor said, you know, thank you, Pastor Joe and the youth group for loving Angie. It meant so much to her. You know, before I knew Jesus, my eye was not trained. I would not have cared about her. You know, we judge people by the outside appearance, don't we? You know, our mission field is limited when we make judgments like that. We make judgments on people from the outside, but God looks at the heart. We need the, we need, we need the compassion of God, amen? We need the compassion of God. I have many other illustrations I could share. But look in Mark chapter 1. We see the compassion of God in verse 40 through 42. It says, A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. See, this is the heart of God. Jesus reached out and touched the man. Remember, leprosy, you don't touch people with leprosy because you can get that disease. Jesus Jesus reached out and touched the man. He says, I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, leprosy left him, and he was cured. See, Jesus saw the man's need, and his heart was filled with compassion. A compassionate heart has a trained eye. May God give you and me more and more a heart of compassion like his. Amen? I'm glad that God is this way. I'm glad it's this way. Are your eyes trained to the needs of the spiritually lost? When God saw wicked Nineveh repent of their sin and how they turned from their evil ways, it says he had compassion and compelled not to bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. God's heart beats for those who do not yet know him. And God wants our heart to beat as well. And God will help us all have that heart. That's the good news. That's the good news. Look at John chapter 4 and verse 33. The, 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 the words of Jesus Look at here. We see it here again. The eyes of God saying, do you not say four more months, four more months, and then the harvest? He says, I tell you. And look at the exclamation point. Look on the fields for the ripe for harvest. Folks, look at the fields for the ripe for harvest. That's what he's saying here. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus says we are to train our eyes to the needs of others for his heart. And this is the heart that you and I can have. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. You want to be fulfilled? You want your heart, you want your life to be not, not to be empty? Give to others. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. If we live for ourselves, it's depressing. But if we live for God, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. It's life. Let your focus be on the hearts of others. What is God's heart really like? It's slow to anger. It's slow to anger. Chapter 4, verse 2 again says, I knew you are slow to anger, Jonah said to God. What does slow to anger mean? In God's heart it means he does not desire to punish the wicked. He doesn't desire to punish the wicked. Aren't you glad that God has a heart like this? I'm so glad. I wouldn't have a chance. I wouldn't have a chance. God was slow to bring his wrath upon the Ninevites, even though he has all the power. How much power does God have, by the way? 
He's full strength all the time. He's never, he that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always full strength. He is God almighty. Almighty. He can do anything he wills. He pulls it off. He spoke into being the heavens and the earth. He has authority behind his word. His word is alive and it goes forth. It'll accomplish with all authority whatever he says. He has all authority. But you know what? He's holy in his authority. Do you know that the, the emotion of anger, God has that. But he never sins with his emotion. So what is anger for? Anger is an emotion that God wants us to use, not to sin. It says, be angry and sin not. We have the anger emotion to point it towards energy, towards righteousness, to doing what is right before God. If you love your child and they're doing things that they shouldn't do over and over again, God's giving you that emotion of anger that you'll be so upset that you'll do right what's right and what's best and what's loving for that child. Amen? See, that's what God, that's why he's given us the emotion of anger. See, God's given us anger so that we stand for what is right in a world where things are wrong. That we confront things in love and we confront situations, which is hard to do. But we need the heart of God to do that. We need the Lord's heart. I'm glad that God never abuses his power. You know, every, everything that, that man has conceived, you know, dynamite, nitroglycerin, everything that we've done to explode and kill people with, we've abused, haven't we? You know, and here's Jonah. He's sitting out at the edge of the city, and he's trigger happy. <laughs> it's just like, wow. You know what? You go back, read, read in the book of John, you know, John and the disciple, uh, John's with Jesus, and they're at, at the border. Okay, there's Galilee to the north. This is the province. Then there's, um, there's Samaria, and then there's, there's Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. And Galilee is where the disciples were from. They, they are what the, the people in Judea would call country bumpkins. They were the uneducated. They, those were the country folk. And um, they, uh, they would there. And then there were the Samaritans, which were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, and they were half uh, uh, another, another breed. And they were mixed in with those who had been assimilated in over the years. And so there they were. And so... Uh, there was a prejudice there between the, the Jew and the Samaritan, but not Jesus, not Jesus. And so they, they're going there, and they wouldn't let him cross the border. The Samaritans wouldn't. And, and John goes, you know what? Should we call down fire from heaven? Let's kill them all, like that. And Jesus says, no way, no way. Okay, that's a paraphrase. But later, <laughs> later, later is that in the book of, a book of Acts, you read about Peter and John, People are getting saved. You know, Philip is evangelist, is, is preaching the gospel, and Samaritans are coming to Christ. This is after the resurrection. And there's Peter and John, and they're going there, laying hands on them to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference that it makes when the Spirit of Jesus lives in our heart? See, that's what happens there. God changes our heart, and we can control our anger. You know, look at verse 5. Here's Jonah. Here's Jonah's heart here. Chapter 4, verse 5, Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, okay, little, little bungalow thing, whatever, sat in its shade and waited to see, I'm going to wait and see what God does here, like that, to see what happened to the city. 
And as horrible as it seems, there's Jonah sitting, watching, hoping against hope. Maybe God will still kill these guys. And there's a reason. There's a reason why he was saying that. Man, we have short fuses, don't we? Hopefully not. But God wants to take that out too. See, and we are to be slow to anger. Quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know, God want, doesn't want us to tr have a, be trigger happy and sin in our anger. With the anger that Jonah carried in his heart, he's sitting there like, kill him, God. <laughs> you know, that's the feeling you get when you, when you read these things. If Jonah had God's power in his hand at that time, he probably would have blown him away. You know what? There's times I hate to admit it. I'm speaking about myself. But there are times when I've become, I've become so angry with someone that didn't know Jesus that I no longer cared about their soul. I forgot all about their need for Jesus. I forgot all about that. And all I cared about was my feelings and my opinion. You know, we read the story, we could be hard on Jonah, couldn't we? You know, how many times, you ever get so mad at somebody in the highway, and they're just coming at you, road rage comes up, it's like, you're not thinking about their soul at that time, you know? How about the person that, that, that gets to your work and takes your job, and you know that they're really not earning their wage? How about, you ever anger with people because they've prospered more than you think they should have, and you got angry for it? And when you tried to pray for them, there's a spirit of jealousy and anger in your heart. You know, if you ever had a hint of that, then welcome to the club. Now you can relate with Jonah. Now you see why we need the heart of God. That's why we need his heart. If we want a heart like God's, we must be slow to anger and be patient in ministering to others. I believe that God wants to exhaust every opportunity to reach the young people because, first of all, he longs all men and women to be with him in eternity. And second, because of this, and I believe this with all my heart, he has perfect comprehension of how terrible hell really is. You ever hear somebody say this? Why don't you just go to hell? And they say it with all their heart. Think about that. What is hell? What is hell? Hell is a place where people are separated completely from the love of God. And not even one of their needs are met. Read in chapter 16 where the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus is crying out, said, send Lazarus, Father Abraham, send Lazarus so he could take and, and dip his, his finger into the water and that a drop would touch my tongue. Think about that. That's the last place. God created hell for, for the angels, for the devil and the angels. Heaven is the place where all your needs will be met all the time for all eternity. See, if we had a glimpse of hell, even for three seconds, would our step toward the, the unreached, would it put a little more spring in our step? I'm not trying to condemn you today. My, I'm preaching to Joe Meyer myself. Is Joe Meyer obedient all the time? Do I speak up for the Lord all the time? No, folks. No, folks. What I'm saying is that we need the heart of God all the time, don't we? We need the heart of God. You know, slow to anger. 
Anger is an emotion given by God, but we're to use it for a godly way. Wow. We have to guard our hearts, don't we? What is God's heart really like? It's abounding in love. Look at chapter 4, verse 2 again. I know, Jonah says, that you are abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Do you know that God delights in canceling his plans of judgment when people repent? He's just waiting. Look at the, 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 the parable of the prodigal. The father was standing at the door, and he saw his son, his wayward son, from afar off. And what did the father do? He ran. That tears me up. It really does. You know, I'm glad that God has an, a heart abounding in love. God is kind and sympathetic because his love is so much greater than man's love. His love is so much greater than man's. And this is evident in the book of Jonah. This is why we take our cues of what God, what love really is. You know, John, John Lennon wrote, and the Beatles, the Beatles, you know, they wrote that song, all you need is, yeah, but they're not talking about God's love. They're talking about man's love. You know what man's love is? You know, we only have one word for love in, in, in the Bible, in the English language. We, we could love people because they're pretty or handsome. We could love people because they do something for me. You scratch my back, I'll do something for you. Or we could do it God's love, which is agape love. Is I will love you unconditionally. And that's the heart of love that, that says, for God so loved the world, all mankind, that he sent his only begotten son, not to condemn us in our sins, but to save us, to rescue us from our sins. Aren't you glad? See, if we want to get our cues of what love really is, we have to get the definition from God because God is love. Read First John chapter 4. You know, we see that greatest love demonstrated through the cross, even in our sins, even in our sins, even knowing all the things of our heart, Jesus still died for me and for you. God is kind and sympathetic because his love is so much greater than ours. You cannot know the heart of God unless you know his love. God's heart is perfect. We're not going to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 13, you hear this read off at wedding ceremonies, and I've used them, officiating them. This is the kind of love that a marriage is to have. This is the kind of love that we are to have and strive for. I'm not there yet. Maybe you're there. I'm not there yet. But this is what it says. Have you heard these words before? God's love, it is always patient. It is always kind. It is never envious. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That means forgiveness. See, God wants to forgive our sins, and he wants to throw them into the sea of forgetfulness and put a no fishing sign there. That's what he wants to do. The devil wants us, even if we come to Christ, to go back there and start fishing out there and start accusing us things from our past. But I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. Amen? So grateful for that. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects the love of God, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. God's perfect love never fails. Awesome. Isn't God awesome? You know, man's love falls so short, so short but God's love is unconditional. His, his character is like an onion. You peel an onion, 
all the way to the core, it's the same. It's the same. That's the heart of God. It's the same. Never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Wow, so many things changing in our world today. Aren't you glad? God never changes. He's at the same heart. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that Christ died for us. While we are still in our sins, Christ died for us. See, that's the heart of God. The love of God is clearly demonstrated to the Ninevites because he loved them. His love is so much better than ours. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 through 36. Church, church on the rock. Joe Meyer, put your name there. If you love those who love you, he's talking about man's love here. What credit is that to you, church? Even sinners, those who don't know Jesus, even sinners love those who love them, right? And if you do good to those who are good to you, Jesus says, what credit is that to you? He said, even people that don't know Jesus do that. And if you lend to those whom ex you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even those who do not know Jesus, who are sinners, expect, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. He says, but this, he says, but love, and this is unconditional, agape, look it up, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. He says, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high. You'll be just like a son and a daughter of the king of kings, he's saying, because our God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father's merciful. So, okay, let's say sinner farmer over here has a field and righteous farmer over here that knows Jesus has a field. The same rain falls upon the just and the unjust. And God is the one, the only one that can make that seed grow. All the farmer can do is put that seed in the ground, but God gives the increase. See, he's the only one. God is kind to the grateful and the ungrateful. See, separation from God in eternity is that that is taken away. That's taken away. See, they're still experiencing the love of God, whether they consciously or unconsciously recognize that. It's still the love of God. See, Jonah was not concerned for the Ninevites, but folks, God was. And it's his heart that we have to model ours. So let's look at, we looked at God's heart, let's look at Jonah's heart, or the heart of man. We've kind of done that already, some overlap here. We want to address the question, could there be some hindrances in our heart that keep us from fulfilling the great mission of this church to reach people for Jesus? To Jonah's credit, read, read Jonah this week. Read it. It says, a man who, he's a man who knew God. He was a true worshiper of God. He was a man who knew how to pray. He was in the belly of the fish for three days. Read about his prayer. He cried out to God. He knew how to pray. He, he acknowledged his errors. He, he humbled himself before God. That's a good model for us. He was bold and courageous. He asked the sailors on, his, on, on the boat that he was going to Tarshish, throw me overboard. You know, just, just look at that, that parallel there. He was disobedient to God. Look at how our disobedience affects other people. They said, they came to him. He's in the boat sleeping. And all these guys are out there perishing. They're gonna, We're going to all die. And so they go to him and say, okay, who are you? Where's your, who's your God? And, and Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. He says, I'm, I, I, 
I serve the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea. And then, and then the, fear, the fear came over them. He says, you're the reason, because they cast lots. He says, you're the reason. And Jonah says, he says, you're right. He says, throw me over. And he threw him over into the, into the ocean. But God rescued him in the belly of the fish. Could there be hindrances? Could there be hindrances? It took courage to preach to the, to the wicked city of Nineveh. But having all said all this, there's still hindrances in his heart. Let's look at some potential hindrances. And there's no legalism in this. This is, this is a healthy thing to look at so that God can show us our hearts, okay? He's not condemning you. He's, he's calling you to a higher way of living. Where God's heart, we can have a selfish heart. Again, we're not educated how to be selfish. God has to teach us how to be more like him. More like him. Where God's heart was, was turned outward, Jonah's was still turned inward. On your own, examine each verse in chapter 4, and you'll see that Jonah was more concerned about his opinions, his feelings, than the will of God and the souls of men. You know, how can you love somebody that you don't even like? Folks, as believers, there are just people that you won't like. Even having Jesus in your, in your heart, there's people that you won't like. You know how you can love someone that you don't like? You love their soul. You love their soul. And you think about eternity. And you think, do I want to see that man or that woman in a Christless eternity or in the eternity with me and in heaven with Jesus? It makes it easier to minister and to pray for that person and to even proclaim the love of Christ to them. Amen? You, you love their soul. That's how you love every type of person. You look beyond their faults and you, and you see their needs. Who do they need? They need Jesus just as much as you do. Jesus died just as much for that person as he died for you. He paid the same price for them as he did for you, but they haven't taken the gift because God has given them a free will and he wants a genuine relationship that only a person can choose. So there's Jonah. You know, selfish heart. There he is, he's sitting there finding fault with God. He said, I would rather die than live because he didn't want these people to be spared. It still happens today for different reasons. You know, maybe we've lost a loved one and we're angry with God. Maybe we've gone through divorce, we're angry with God. Perhaps we feel life's been unfair with us and we're, we're, just, we're just really ticked off with God. There could be any number of things. There could be offense in the church. That person, boy, they're a Christian. They call themselves a Christian. Look what they did to me. And God, I'm angry at you. And I'm going to reject you. And I'm going to walk away from you. You know, all these things. Jonah's heart wasn't right. He had a burr on her saddle. And he was so, so thankful to God as he sat there to see what's going to happen to Nineveh. And the Lord let this, this vine grow over him as he's sitting there to observe and see what's going to happen. And Jonah was very happy about this vine, very happy about it. And he's happy about his own needs and his own comforts while he's waiting to see souls perish in Nineveh. Wow, how much we need Jesus. How true, isn't it? How true, how true. You know, the comforts of our home, all these things are good. Comforts of staying in the familiar not taking the steps of faith to reach out to others, 
the comforts of doing what we want to do, but not really making every efforts to care about the souls of other people. Oh, may we guard our hearts from these things. The labor in the harvest field demands a carving out in our schedules to care about others. He had a pouting heart, not only selfish heart, but a pouting heart. And children are known to pout, but adults can do the same thing, can't they? Pouting is not limited to just children. Jonah was pouting because he just wasn't getting his way. Chapter 4, verse 4 says it this way, and I'm going to have to scoot along here for time. He says, do you have any right to be angry? Remember, silence. He's just sitting there, silence. He's digging in his heel. Do you have the right to be angry? You know, hurt feelings can do a lot. Christians can get their feelings hurt and turn inward. Hurt feelings can do a lot, getting us off focus. Are your feelings preventing you from obeying God? These are good, healthy things. Another hindrance that Jonah had a prejudiced heart. Who are these Ninevites anyway? Why was he, why was he responding this way? Well, it's because Israelites, the, the, the Ninevites were Israel's enemy. And they were a world power. In fact, you study about them, they were like the first terrorists, government terrorists. And they, they, would, they, would, they would torture their, their captors. They would put nose rings in them. They would make them slaves. They would teach them. They would abuse them. They would do all these things. And they were a threat to national Israel. And they committed many atrocities. They were wicked. And Jonah was prejudiced. He hated them. They didn't deserve forgiveness. God, I know your character. This is why I said this is why you are. You're a God that's gracious, that you're compassionate, that you're slow to anger, relenting from sending calamity, bounding love. Lord, I knew you would do this, but I'm going to sit here and wait anyway. That's what he's saying. And so, God, why are you helping Nineveh? Have you forgotten about us? What type of person do we regret to see God forgive? Is there any? Is there any type of person, any nationality that you would refuse to share Christ with? Would it be a Republican? Would it be a Democrat? Would it be a rich person? Would it be a poor person? Would it be a homeless person? Would it be a heavy set person? Would it be a skinny person? Would it be an old person? Would it be an illegal immigrant? Would it be a vaccinated person? Would it be an unvaccinated person? Who is it that would restrict your step and slow your step down to reach out to them where you didn't even care for their soul? By the way, do you know what the Bible teaches about prejudice? It says in Galatians 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, 26 says, from one man, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the people in Athens, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole world and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. You know, don't let anyone tell you that you are a racist because you believe what Jesus taught. Jesus loves all people. If we follow what Jesus taught, we will love every person. Amen. Say amen. 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 And you know what? God loves you. Prejudice can be a hindrance. Don't let allow anything to divide you from the harvest and people that need Jesus. Jonah had a stubborn heart. I'm going to go quickly. Verse 9. He says, Are you, do you have the right to be angry? He goes, I do. I do. 
Stubbornness can be manifested in unteachableness. In our hearts, we can stubbornly resist obeying the command. We all have that potential. My last point today, what is the solution? Folks, we need to see the necessity of loving people like God does. We need to see the necessity of having a heart like God's. Or our step will slow at Church in the Rock. We will not stay on mission. Our gifts will be idle. The mission of Church on the Rock will not be what it should be. We'll not be able to employ the gifts and all the things and the talents and abilities that we got there because there's no catalyst that comes from the love of Jesus in our hearts. So what do we do? Folks, we have to spend time in the presence of the Lord, don't we? We have to spend time in his presence. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad those that are, that are watching on, online that you're spending time with the Lord. We all need, we all need to spend time in his presence because our hearts can grow cold if we don't stay near the hot coals of the altar. We need his touch at all times. That's the antidote to so, the selfish human hearts is that we need a daily infusion of God's love in our hearts. We must then spend time with him. We must daily be conscious of the fact that all people are important to God and that God has made us follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That includes you. We have to take action. We must not allow political narratives of our culture to divide us from ourselves and the souls of men. Look at chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11, and I'll close with this. It says, But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I want us to bow our heads for just a moment and um, if the pianist can come, just come and play right now. We've come to the most important part of our service. If you could close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. I would be remiss today if I didn't cast out the net and say, are there people here that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you? You'd say, you know, Pastor Joe, if I died today, I don't know if my life would be right with God. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. You'd say, you know, that's me. That's me. Is there anyone here today? Isn't that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus sees all of our faults, but he loves us and takes us just the way we are. Is there anyone here today and you'd say, you know what? I want to receive Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. I want this free gift I want to turn from all that I know is wrong. I want to accept Christ. Just, would you put your hand up where you are? Just hold it up till I see it. Anyone today? Okay, there's two over there. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone else? Raise your hand. Anyone else? Say, I want the Lord. I, I love his heart. I love who he is. He's the one who made me. Anyone else? I've seen two hands. Anyone else? Just raise it up high. Raise it up high. Let's all pray together this prayer as these who are going to receive the Lord. Let's all pray this together like it was the very first time. 
Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you that you sent your son into this world not to condemn me in my sin, but to save me. Lord, I know that I've done wrong. And I, I want to turn away from all that I know is wrong. And by faith, I receive you, Christ, as my Savior and my Lord. I put my faith in you. I receive this free gift. And I know that I'm saved, that I'm forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Help me to live for you from this day forth with you in command of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Every, everybody look up. Can we just pray for just a minute? John McVillery is going to come up in just a moment. But I want us to just pray that we have the heart of God for just 30 seconds. Can we do that? Let's do that right now. Father, I just pray as your spirit is here today, God, that you are speaking to us. You're calling us to a higher level. You're calling us to the harvest field. God, give us a heart, Lord, that is compassionate, that is gracious, that is slow to anger, that relents from sending calamity, that is abounding with the love, the unconditional love of God. Lord, as we go into the mission field from this place today, God, give us eyes that are trained upon the hurts and the needs of others. Help us to love them into the kingdom and to proclaim the good news in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you.